missing your bed. I never sleep, avoiding the spots where we'd have to speak. And this bottle of beast is taking me home. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I am your host, Kate Kennedy. And that, my friends, is a little tune you might be trying to place. And, you know, this week I've been really trying so hard to understand this phenomenon people are talking about called Visco Girls. And so much of what they're about is so adjacent to what was popular in the 90s, early 2000s, etc. And kind of sent me into a whack-a-mole of rabbit holes as it relates to all the things that I loved when I, too, was you know, young, pretentious about music, spending my parents' money buying bracelets at surf shops. And, you know, I'm grateful that the days I would log long hours sitting in front of my huge-ass gateway desktop computer, burning CDs I got from LimeWire, maybe BearShare, Napster in its heyday, and just making masterpiece playlists of songs that expressed how hard it was, you know, to be a a suburban white 14-year-old girl who spent her free time like going to youth group and playing volleyball and upon going to places like, you know, Myrtle Beach, the Outer Banks, Hilton Head, these are these rough vacation spots, you know, tough corners of the world. I had to get a brew through oversized T-shirt, a, a salty dog. I, I needed if I if I wasn't at the Ron John or the Wings getting the latest and greatest in hemp and puka, then truly I was in a dark space. And, you know, when I would endure tough times like running out of allowance money, spending all my allowance money on a, a, a faux street sign from a souvenir shop at the beach that said Katie's parking only when I would, you know, return from vacation hoping to be tan and then obviously, as you know, having to douse myself in my mom's blush so I could feign a sunburn. And I hoped that maybe my crush would notice that I had been gone, I had been vacationing, I was fresh, I was anew, I had that stunning uh, back tan line with the big circle in the lower back and then the V in the upper back of a good solid swim team Speedo that your mom spent $75 on so you will wear it for eight summers. I I really thought I had it all going on, but as it would always happen, I'd get home. I'd put something really subtle on my away message to make my crush wonder how I was doing and hopefully solicit a reaction. You know, my away message ever so subtly, you know, not telling anybody that I was away. <laughs> God, that would be ridiculous. It would simply say, you know, and as for now, I'm going to hear the saddest song and sit alone and wonder how you're making out. But as for me, as for me, I wish that I was anywhere with anyone making out. And you know where he probably was? Making out with some smoking hot chick that's probably, you know, the version of today's Visco girl that I wanted to be. But in order to achieve a full starter pack of accessories to become a stereotype, he requires to put down some cash. And I was always trying to like dabble in trends, but never could really like fully commit to one. I mean, I don't know about you, but I couldn't just you know, drop $250 at a pack, son. I'm not the Sultan of Brunei. You know, you want vans, you go to Payless, you BOGO, you get the next best thing. They're like vague off-brand airwalks that kind of look like skater shoes. But again, do you need them? You don't really skateboard. But it doesn't matter. 
because you got to put on skater shoes and you got to cut a side bang, you know, not like a Kristen Cavallari side bang, but like an Ashley Simpson pieces of me era side bang. It had to be long enough to get close to your ear, but not so short that it was the type of side bang that was the official sponsor of male youth haircuts in the early 2000s, where for some reason they didn't use their hands and they would just violently shake their head to get their hair out of their eyes. And it had a slight swoop up at the end. I mean, they were smoking hot and they'd buzz their hair for baseball season. I'd be like, bye. And then they'd come back after the summer. Good hair again. But anyway, you had to have this side bang. So when you feel uncomfortable or anxious, you can kind of grip your bangs with your hair, smooth them over your eyes. And then when you sit alone at home and cry to emo music, it can cover your eyes that are absolutely smothered in like fistfuls of coal black eyeliner because, again, it's hard being you. Sometimes it was hard because my crush didn't respond. Sometimes it was hard because, you know, you'd spent I'd spend all day waiting for my precious playlist what they're called now but at the time mixtape to burn i'd have my sharpies ready locked and loaded to draw gorgeous flowers and butterflies dragonflies all the song titles to entitle the mix something brilliant like for me y2kk and only to have the the cd mid burn stall at 80 percent progress and you're stuck you're screwed if you didn't have rewritable cds at the time that one was a goner. And like what kids just don't get these days is, you know, your your skin gets a little tougher when your playlist takes eight hours to buffer. And not to mention the, 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 the toughness that is a result of years spent dabbling in low-key illegal activity as it relates to music pirating. And I don't know. It's it's been interesting um, digging into this this phenomenon as I was trying to understand it and then therefore explain it to you, because while I think that it's the most annoying group of people I've ever witnessed, I also don't think it's all that different from what we've been doing for years. So what's crazy about a visco girl is that when you look up the definition, the definition contains things you need to to further defining. So whenever something, the definition of something is something that I don't understand, it's not really, you know, well explained. So like you look up the definition of a visco girl and it'll say, you know, it's a community of teenagers who have been labeled the Tumblr girls of 2019. What the F are the, what's the, what are the Tumblr girls? <laughs> I think like, I don't think, I think most of us are like probably a little old to understand that. I get on Tumblr to like look at Taylor Swift theories, but I'm not a lifelong Tumblr. If you're roughly my age, I would imagine when you hear Tumblr, you either think, great, I don't need a coaster. I love a cup that eliminates, you know, perspiration, mm, condensation rather. Or when I think of Tumblr, I think straight up gymnastics, like putting on my crushed velvet leotard, doing like some crooked cartwheels and acting like it was a round off back handspring, like triple tuck with a twist. Uh, to me, the the, the the real tumblers are the Magnificent Seven. You're you, Dominique Mochiano, you're Shannon Miller, you're Dominique Dawes, Carrie Strug, justice for Amy Chow, Amanda Borden, and J.C. Phelps. I could I I could use any tangent as an excuse to get into uh, 1990s women's gymnastics and or figure skating, but we'll save that for a different day. A Tumblr with no E was just not something that I was in the right age group to properly use. I lurk on it, but I don't really get it. I think the user interface is confusing. I think it's weird how nothing has a date on it. I think it's weird how I can't really see comments and comments are jumbled in between likes and I just want them separated. The search algorithm is garbage. But 
Anyway, so when you describe a Visco girl as being the Tumblr girls of 2019, I'm like, that makes no sense. But then the second part of this is they say, okay, they say a community of teenagers who have been labeled the Tumblr girls of 2019. They edit all of their photos with the Visco app, use metal straws, always have scrunchies attached to their wrist, and a hydro flask at hand. Urban Dictionary defines them as basically the most basic girl you'll find out there. So Visco is an app that I would liken to Instagram when it was not used as much as a social network as it was a photo editing app. If you recall before we were graced with the likes of 10 million photo editing apps to like apparently oversaturate the crap out of everything you're doing so it matches the rest of your photos, it, it w- their Instagram was like the first one that actually made photos look cool and old timey and there were filters and we used a lot of vignettes, which now so embarrassing. I mean, I look back and you know, the old feeds of my personal account, the amount of like Hudson, Valencia, oh my God, Amaro, that blown out light, it's like, take it down to 50%, like relax. You you don't need to look like you're taking it through a lens of one of those old timey Western photos at a Bush Gardens. But anyway, Visco is a photo editing app that I've actually used before. And now I use a color story, but there was a time when Visco was the premier editing app that I guess some people also use as a social network because you have a name and you can look at people's pictures, whatever. But they all have like a kind of similar vibe to them. I don't know what VSCO stands for, but that's just the name of the app. And it's kind of like they probably use the C1 filter. It's a high saturation. They kind of obsess over like the aesthetics and filters of their pictures. They make them look really grainy. They make the colors really high, the contrast really high. They try to like, I don't know, it's 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 kind of like a version of preset culture that we're seeing a lot now and by preset culture i don't think that's a real thing but i feel like you know the nine block feed flow everybody wants their photos to look the same it's kind of like how we said amber filler ups having a terracotta moment it's that it's like that is kind of the root of what visco is about but a visco girl has taken on a, a life of its own that's kind of independent of the app so while the photo app is important to their inception i'd argue it has very little to do with their execution and their execution is mostly that there's like this there's a series of young girls they're teenagers they live with their parents they're on tiktok formerly musically now on tiktok maybe youtube maybe snapchat maybe instagram i don't really know what the kids do these days but tiktok is where i've seen the majority of it and they you know it's kind of um it's kind of this uh, Snapchat attention thirst trap culture in the form of like a 90s girl kind of merged with an early aught surfer girl reincarnated as a 2019 girl. And the hallmarks of their vibe is wearing a ton of scrunchies on their wrist, wearing a scrunchie in their hair. They have a ton of friendship bracelets, both beaded and with those um, like letter beads on them but also braided you know where you'd have to get a clipboard and like attach all this thread to it and like cats cradle it up to create some garbage bracelet that you had to tie on yourself permanently that by the end of the summer was completely faded because of all the chlorine you just have to snip it off and like there goes all you know your your hard work your labor next summer you're going to take your talents to hair wraps because it can be a frustrating process if you, if you haven't elevated your jewelry making skills to using clasps yet it's like, you know, having a wristband on for an entire summer, but they have fistfuls. They have full arm parties of bracelets and scrunchies. They wear oversized T-shirts and biker shorts. So you can't, they don't look like they have pants on. This to me is very 90s. The bracelets and scrunchies, very 90s. 
but then they have a lot of so like I'd say they have kind of that like Lisa Frankish colorful playful Clarissa explains it all vibe of like a mid 90s but then it kind of there are elements that start to creep into late to the late 90s early 2000s of this era where we were all obsessed with like surf shops and surf couture and effectively if, if you're if you're if your closet was riddled with billabong with rip curl with roxy with quicksilver you it was couture you were basically wearing middle school balmain and they these visco girls in addition to the oversized t-shirts and bikers and scrunchies and friendship bracelets and colorful things they also wear a lot of puka shell necklaces which you could say are 90s but i'd argue I didn't get into puka shell necklaces until I was at least mall culture age, until I was at least the age where I could ask my parents for money for lunch, get no lunch and spend it all on jewelry at an unsupervised mall visit. And I had also, as I mentioned earlier, anytime we went on a family vacation to anywhere with a boardwalk within reach, I went straight there. I got a keychain that looked like a license plate with my name on it. I got a Katie's parking only sign. I got a puka shell necklace. I got maybe a dashboard hula girl, despite being like four years away from being able to drive. I, th- I love a boardwalk cheap souvenir shop. I love a wings. I love a Ron John. I love, I, I love uh, the feeling. It's kind of like how the housewives, when they like go to Dubai or something, they're like, it's just different when you shop on vacation. I agree. And when you're, you know, trying to kill time between getting shaved ice and going to eat cr- bottomless crab legs, there's no more glorious time, no time better spent than balls deep in a souvenir shop just buying the, the, the boardwalk's finest shark tooth to put on my puka shell necklace maybe i'd snag a authentic sweatshirt that just said the word lifeguard on it i don't know if everyone whatever you know everyone has different experiences my my upbringing was very east coast and i do think east coast surfer and west coast surfer are very different because I'd argue in the early, like late 90s, early 2000s, East Coast surfer vibes were, were so in. But like we didn't really surf. So it was more like boogie board culture. And I have talked at length about how funny I think boogie boarding is on this podcast before. But West Coast, I'd argue if you we, we push, we, we, we keep moving in time. So we've got a lot of the accoutrements of a visco girl moving from the 90s to early 2000s. Then we go up to like 2004. 2004 is when the world becomes obsessed with Southern California. I have an episode, I believe, called, is it California Dreams or something? No, it's, oh, it's called um, Everyone's Something. Everyone's got babe, gender reveals a new construction. Kate can barely function. And I talk about Southern California culture, <laughs> how it affected me. Um, you know, starting with, say, by the Bell of California Dreams, obviously, but far more tangibly is when Laguna Beach came out, when the OC came out, and then they started the glory of the real housewives because they wanted to have the real housewives of Orange County, the real Orange County. And we all of a sudden became obsessed with Southern California fashion. And I would say this is really where the tube tops, the, the, the low riding jean skirts, the you know, the cotton skirts with the drawstring that also had one hem of of ruffle that were from like Abercrombie or American Eagle that you would wear with a way too short, way too tight, semi-stretchy, white and pink striped polo. But, 
you know, you had to make sure the polo had the critter on the upper chest where like the normal polo man would go from like a cool place because he didn't want to be spotted with one that was like clearly a knockoff. Like I remember thinking Arapostel's little thing was like a little embarrassing. But, you know, if you had an eagle or a moose, you were all set. But that's the the casual. I feel like there was this point in time where fashion was very beachy and casual and whether it was like Bjork wearing Birkenstocks in the summer, like mule clogs in the winter, or kind of having that American Eagle Abercrombie style that was like equal parts preppy and equal parts surf shoppy, that there there was the era was marked with things that were so equally masculine and feminine. They were casual in nature, but so cool girl, because there was nothing that was trying that hard. And if you looked good in like layered rib tank tops, you were like Adriana Lima for all we knew. And I their fashion is this hilarious amalgam to me of like two decades of fashion mixed with the wokeness of the current Gen Z era because they have all that stuff, but then they also use hydro flasks because they care about the environment. They don't want to use plastic bottles and they're very obsessed with saving the turtles. So they use metal straws and they carry them around everywhere. So they all like have these huge ass water bottles they drink out of. I don't know why they would choose a hydro flask over like a Nalgene. Is Nalgene plastic? So basically, they just get on these apps or take videos of themselves or whatever with all their scrunchies and all their bracelets and their huge ass shirts and biker shorts and or their tube tops and mom jeans and their social consciousness. And they talk about saving the turtles and they drink out of these really loud, large, excessive mouthpiece hydro flasks and they take their metal straws out of their bag. They spray their faces with Mario Badescu rose water, use like a lot of Carmex lip balm which i've always said is the grossest lip balm but there is like such a distinct type of carmex girl there's also like a rosebud salve girl um i'm i kind of fall in this weird zone where i actually don't use a ton of lip balm or chapstick or whatever but when i do i use blistex which i kind of feel you know it's medicated which i feel like it's kind of like the orthopedic shoe of the lip balm family it's not like sexy to slap on some blistex and then give you someone a smooch but what are you going to do? I love how it tingles. I'm convinced it gets you addicted to it. I think anything medicated, your lips equally are soothed and become dependent on it. But yeah, so they also wear a lot of Birkenstocks, very 90s, a lot of Crocs, very 2000s, uh, you know, chokers, the puka shells. I, I, all I can say is I feel like a Visco girl is if, if like Clarissa Darling from Clarissa Explains It All and Kate Bosworth's character from Blue Crush and Jojo Siwa all made a baby it would be the modern day visco girl and they get on their like apps and they tape themselves and they say this thing that i can't even pretend to imitate because i don't really get it there's a certain way they like laugh and there's a certain way they say like oops but it's largely because they're constantly knocking over these huge ass aluminum hydro flasks and if i'm if, if you're like this girl's making no sense it's because this thing inherently makes no sense truly the the descriptors used to explain these people are all trends that already existed from years past merged into one that to me don't paint a distinct picture of a person. But the problem is you and I aren't frequenting TikTok enough to really get a good grasp on these people. And whenever you look for evidence, proof, information about like an actual Visco girl herself, there is no distinction between who is actually one and who is a person impersonating one because it's a very popular meme right now to turn yourself into a visco girl and to parody them so let me play a tape of somebody that's allegedly a visco girl but also very well might be parodying one i don't know but i guess it's technically the same because they really sound like this 
I'm 99% sure this is a parody, but this will help. Listen for the sound that's like, like SK, 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 and like also listen for a vague, like, oops, noise after like an aluminum, like a clanking of a large aluminum item on, you know, what sounds like your parents' granite countertops. One second. Is this heat taken? And here, you can plug in my 10 foot charger over there. It should reach. Oh my God, why don't you have any scrunchies? Here, you can take one of mine. There you go. Is that a plastic straw? <laughs> Ew. Here, you can take one of my metal straws. Here you go. I carry them around everywhere with me. <laughs> Save the turtles. Here. You know what? While we're at it, why don't you just take my whole hydro flask? I already have one with all these cute stickers on it. It's so personalized. Speaking of stickers, why don't you um, take these that I ordered from Redbubble and, and you can um, take them yourself. You know what? Do you have an Apple Watch? Here, you can have one of mine. There you go. <laughs> it's that time. <laughs> Mario Badescu. <laughs> okay, that was like maybe a bad example. But that was truly terrifying and I'm sure... <laughs> That was a huge exaggeration, I think, I hope. But again, I've never seen a real one. I, I can only find parody accounts. But that's apparently what they sound like, and that's what they talk about. And they're always chomping gum, offering scrunchies, applying lip balm, and all that good stuff we talked about. And I don't know if I, I mentioned this earlier, but a big part of their outfit is they wear Crocs or they wear Birkenstocks. And yeah. Now, you know, what? who makes the t-shirts? I think it depends because, you know... I, I, I was partial to an Outer Banks brew through every, every like vacation town has like a token restaurant where the shirts are popular for like no reason. Like, is there anything revolutionary about that Martha's Vineyard black dog? Is there anything revolutionary about the Hilton Head salty dog? I mean, if there's one dog that's revolutionary in this town, it should be big dogs because those shirts were sick. So were Pete's frogs. So we're life is good with that little cartoon, man. I mean, you know, we had a lot of strong oversized T-shirt brand potential for our wardrobes when we were in the 90s. But I actually don't really know what what's cool now. But honestly, it's like what I'd call a sleep shirt. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, so, yeah, that's like basically all they are. <laughs> I know that sounds insane and it is insane and I don't really get it. I guess what's confusing for me is that the trends are pulling from all the things I've loved throughout different phases of my life. I mean, Blue Crush. It was a it was a feminist masterpiece. I mean, a woman in, in a male sport that was able to dress skimpily for practical reasons because it was athletic. I remember really enjoying that because you didn't look at her like some, you know, buxom Baywatch babe. She was like an athlete and the clothes in that were awesome. And when she got dressed up when she wasn't a maid for that one night, she wore that like super low cut black dress that only flat chested person can pull off. And went on that date. I mean, like, I just thought I thought she was everything. And um, it's just weird when there's somebody something represents a collection of things that you don't hate individually, but in aggregate are virtually insufferable. And I guess they wouldn't be insufferable without the way that they talk, because it's also drawing a little bit from like Valley Girl. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know, guys. I So if somebody asks you to explain a Visco girl, I think the best you can say is. The person that edits their photos in the Visco app, but is also known for a variety of fashion and lifestyle related qualities, such as the scrunchies and bracelets and tube tops and mom jeans and biker shorts and huge T-shirts and, you know, scrunchies in ponytail and rose water and chewing gum and having a hydro flask and caring about the turtles and, you know, having metal straws. 
and taking photos of like the console area of their cars, even though they like maybe can't drive yet, but probably just have like a learner's permit. And, you know, this type of person that looks this way gets on the computer and says has like weird lingo, talks like a valley girl, laughs by like a a SKSK noise and drops her aluminum hydroflex constantly and having to say oops. I would guess and I oop is kind of like the oop of Ohio when people say like that's the official like bump into you noise of a Midwestern person is you're like, oh, sorry. Like, it's kind of like a, a goofball-y way to run into people. Whereas in New York, you just like, you know, power through, break two sets of shoulders you need to get through. Like, it's a ribbon cutting and an opening ceremony. It's, I just, I don't know. That's all I got for you. And I'm, I I don't know if that was helpful whatsoever. But I think it was even fun for me to explore because I, there's like so many different pockets of your youth. And I had really thought through like almost, you know, six seventh grade ish mall culture but then i like also forgot about the warmer months i had mentioned before when i you know went on vacation and faked a sunburn but i had kind of forgotten about the the time when i hung out in boardwalk souvenir shops and surf shops and how much i enjoyed that like more androgynous style and also I this, you know, the the scrunchy part, the Lisa Frank part, the friendship bracelet part, even though I was into those as a younger girl in the 90s, what's interesting to me is how appealing it is to these not they're not tweens they're like full on teenagers that and it's funny because I feel like teen, teenagers are always trying to wear like more more mature style. And I'd argue that this is like a smidge better than like the typical thirst trap, like let's just wear things that look like they're from wet seal and have like cutouts and mesh panels. I'd rather somebody wear an oversized T-shirt and biker shorts than their long biker shorts. But uh, it's it's just I don't know. When I was the age of the Visco girls, I definitely was out of like scrunchy era. But that's probably because it was not in style anymore. But I guess what's also confusing to me is how like Urban Dictionary and the like keep referring to Visco girls as basic. And I'm like, OK, so are scrunchies and bracelets and big T-shirts and biker shorts and tube tops the the blanket scarves, the bubble necklaces, the chambray tops, the distressed white jeans and the Jack Rogers of teenagers. You know what I mean? I, like, And what is basic? Like, I, I'm kind of tired of, of even that classification anyhow, because what I just said was how people dressed more so in basic became a term. But basic is ever evolving. And also, it's not a thing. <sighs> we got to drop the basic just because something's popular doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because a lot of people like something Maybe that means a lot of people like it for good reason, because there's something about the the quality or the stickiness of the concept or whatever it is, it's resonating with large amounts of people. And just because you are being a contrarian and it doesn't make you cool, interesting, different or any more valuable than your basic bitch over there. Let's just all drink pumpkin spice lattes, watch Hocus Pocus and get along and also never talk about Hocus Pocus again, because, again, the basic girls are kind of ruining it. So I feel two ways about it. I feel like we should just be allowed to enjoy our interests without having to quirkily offset and justify them with qualifiers like i know i'm so basic but i love going apple picking no shit we all love an orchard it's a glorious time i love putting on a flannel i love a hayride i love an artful distressing of a knee of a blue jean and and uh ankle boot that's you know a, a cognac shade of brown i love a cider donut i love a hot cider i love a cold cider i i love a farmer's market that in any any other context i'd say this has too many flies there's there's a lot of flies and there's the cleanliness of the produce and the surroundings are definitely questionable. But in the fall, you convince yourself it's part of the charm. You convince yourself that there you, you need a level of grit to really have that autumnal 
experience. And therefore you go sit on a hay bale. And even though my sister got a tick from sitting on a hay bale when she was a kid, and every time I sit on a hay bale now, I think, oh my God, I'm, you know, one sit away from being a full Yolanda Hadid. I get on the hayride and I go to that pumpkin patch and I think, why am I here? Oh yeah, for photos. I take a cute photo. I bring back a pumpkin. Our eyes are filled with hope on the hayride back that we're going to make pumpkin pies. Better yet, we're going to make apple pies. I... Uh, for a moment, I even forget how annoyed I am that all the gala apples were picked over and I got stuck with a heap of red delicious and green apples. But also, I am allergic to apples. So when I get to the cashier and I picked a bushel by the pound and it's like $65 and I'm like, actually, I can't eat these. And then it's like not, you know, it's not a Kroger. I can't go put it back on the shelf. What am I going to do? Go put it back in the tree. If you're lucky, there's a corn maze. Somehow I live in the Midwest, which is like corn Chester town Fieldville, USA. And... I've never been to a corn maze, but as we know from Gilmore Girls, they're filled with romance and intrigue and familial arguments. They're a great place to get away from somebody. But as we know from the Harvest Festival and Parks and Recreation, they're very easy to get lost in. And I guarantee you I would be the little Sebastian in all of this, and I would get left behind in the corn maze with my tick and my apple allergy and realize, why the hell am I here? But I'm here because it's freaking fall, y'all. And that's what we basic bitches do. There's no feeling like being dressed in light layers in the crisp fall air. Maybe there's a fire nearby and your cheeks are rosy and everyone's questions they're asking you are nosy. But who cares? Because you know what? You're cozy. And that is what matters in all of this. It's not the fall. It's not the foliage. It's it's not the apple picking and the hayrides. It's not Hocus Pocus. It's not the 31 days of Halloween on Freeform. It's not Halloween Town. It's not Marnie. It's not any of that it's 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 just being freaking cozy is all we care about and i just don't see why coziness is basic you know it's just it's a you i would argue it's pretty universal that people like to feel cozy and whatever brings you that whether be it a bath and body works candle or a you know fairy lit alcove that you build out of a fort of pillows in your home and then take weird photos of and post to pinterest why do so many people have these like nooks in their home with like shit tons of pillows and fairy lights? I, and there's a lot of that on Pinterest. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Aren't you an adult? <laughs> Very strange. I'm not mad at the idea of a, an adult fort, but I just feel like if you have kids, it makes sense. If you are a kid, it makes sense. I just not every day. I'm like, you know, asking my husband, what do you want to do tonight? Yep. For some light fort building. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, the, why was I talking about all that? The, oh, Visco Girls. Yeah. When I was kind of going through Visco Girls, I was so, it, it just seems like a trend that would be more like relevant to like 10 to 13 year olds, but it seems to be like 14 to 17 year olds, if that makes sense. Uh, maybe I'm completely misreading the situation, but anyways, that's what sent me into like a tailspin of like, okay, this would have been like cutesy for me when I was in more of like the Claire's era, but what what was kind of the bridge between being like super young and naive and self-conscious and then being like still pretty young, but having a more better knowledge of like how the world works, having a few heartbreaks, disappointments, wanting to be more mature, but exhibiting horrendously immature behavior. Like What was I doing when I was like straight up 14, 15? Because I, I think about the tween years a lot in middle school a lot, but I, I also think like Eighth grade freshman year ish era is pretty interesting because you think you're so old and mature at the time, but like you could not be more emotionally immature and more emotionally volatile. And what do emotionally volatile people do? 
they post their feelings on the internet. Now they do it on Facebook with vague booking. They do it on the on TikTok or whatever the hell else it is. But in my youth and likely yours too, the only way we knew how was to put these things on our away message. And there weren't video, they were verbal. And it was high risk to write your own poetry, your own prose. So we had to stick to song lyrics. You know, you wanted to play it safe. You would, you know, pick a Dave Matthews band quote, the best of what's around. If you want to be like, you know, speaking of basic, if you want to use Crash, like good luck, at least use Crush. That's a more sophisticated song. Just as long as you're around, I'm here, I'm dancing on the ground am I right side up or upside down. I actually love that song. I actually really enjoy going to a Dave Matthews band concert. <laughs> But truly, well, I mean, I've always loved words and lyrics, but like, I'm pretty convinced that I got really into music. And I, I, the reason I know a lot about music is because I clocked some serious hours downloading music and burning CDs and trying to navigate my way through, you know, ways that song could express how I was feeling when I was a deeply emotional teenager that unfortunately had the ability to convey that on AOLs to Messenger while I was IMing all of my crushes who would never commit to me. And through this, I found emo music. And through this, I was like this makeshift music snob that had no business being a music snob. But what's funny about emo bands kind of like Dashboard or um, like Taking Back Sunday or Brand New or like uh, uh, Bright Eyes, I'm trying to think of like Saves the Day. I know some these are all different kind of varying genres and types but these the, the these bands that there's a funny thing where like we all were simultaneously listening to them while still thinking they were incredibly unique and we were like living an alternative lifestyle and what i think is so funny is how universally recognizable dashboard confessional lyrics are almost because of a aol buddy info profiles or away messages and to loop back that's what made me think of the intro song which was Dashboard Confessionals Screaming Infidelities. Now, I don't feel like we spent enough time together earlier. Well, let's just let's just finish it out. You know, not the episode. <laughs> you think I'm done? Uh, let's just finish out the song a little bit because I want you to hear it build a little bit better. I thought I got more warm and cozy feelings from hearing those like beginning first few words. But the real banger comes now when, you know, prepare to be baptized and have all of your emotional turmoil wash away. You're reborn. And while I would like turn my nose up, I'd be like, oh, how nice. You like Simple Plan? Newfound Glory? Cute. Oh, you like All American Rejects? I mean, if I were you, I might keep that my dirty little secret because, you know, while John Tucker Must Die is a fine film and they did make that song for that movie, I do believe I, you know, I'm more into some, you know, bands that haven't sold out that make real music, you know, like Guster. Ever heard of them? I just feel like such a douche in, in retrospect. And uh, anyway, this I'm going to just quickly, we're going to review two dashboard songs because th these are icons, legends, heroes that I am not comfortable leaving unsung. So let's just do the end of uh, Screaming Infidelities real quick. As for now, I'm going to hear the saddest songs and sit alone and wonder how you're making out But as for me I wish that I was anywhere With anyone making out Now comes the part where it's like what Greg says to me truly every day in my home Your hair is everywhere Screaming in 
the infidelities part. My hair literally is everywhere. We have dark wood floors. And, you know, poor Greg, because I have I have the shedding capacity of a golden retriever with none of the perks of the the friendliness, the general flexibility, affability and, you know, outdoorsiness. Now, I hope I haven't lost you. I don't know. It's so hard for me to isolate what is specific to my individual, you know, age group at a certain period of time and what's more universal. But then in this time, too, you know, I was it was early 2000s. I was in my early teens, early to mid teens. All you want to do is like impress boys and have like cool taste in music. I mean, I did nothing for me. I, I didn't want to be interesting. I didn't want to have my own unique taste. I just wanted to be liked. Honestly, my type at this point was quite literally pays attention to me, which, you know, is sad. But I can also laugh about it now because it had very little to do with my like baseline confidence and everything to do with like almost a, a, a more shallow need to be liked to to have experience affection and, and romantic love and to more so than anything, just be at the same pace as my friends were because being left out is truly it's like getting fired as a teen you know what I mean it's like you failed you're done you have nothing what's next it's such a long process to find a new job or a new friend group and you know if you'd be on the outs of the friend group or if they couldn't relate to you anymore if they would go to the pool and not call you I mean it was awful and when everybody was talking about making out and stuff and I hadn't yet like I just wanted to experience it and you know when nobody was interested in making out with somebody that was an imperial foot taller than them I had to blow off steam. I had to express emotion and I couldn't drive. So while others took their angst to the road and sang across the dashboard of their yellow Toyota Celica with a spoiler, I had to take to Dashboard Confessional. And the other song that really spoke to me, because again, they, these lyrics match the level of hardship I was going through, is a song called hands down. And um, this song is very important to me. It instrumentally played at my wedding reception. And <laughs> I'll just, I'll let the lyrics speak for themselves. This is like the token away message <laughs> at the time in like, I just can't imagine like somebody's mom, like peering, uh, you know, into their online activity and seeing my hopes are so high that your kiss might kill me. So won't you kill me? So I die happy. It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, they also loved this quote from Taking Back Sunday that I was reminded of when looking up away messages over the weekend. And um, it is equally as uh, what's the word? Morbid? Uh, gory? A lot of parallels between love and pain and like physical lacerations of one's body, which not a great message, but I still stand by this quote today and I find it incredibly deep, even though I don't think I really understood it at the time. I think it really represents what so many of us go through when we excessively apologize. And this quote by Taking Back Sunday in the song You're So Last Summer that I find to be incredibly poignant is... The truth is, you could slit my throat, and with one, my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt. Let that marinate, guys. Let that marinate, just like it did when we reviewed that Rachel Parcell is living in her forever home, because it will be theirs for the next four to five years. 
It makes me wonder if Rachel Hollis was talking about Taking Back Sunday when she wrote Girl Stop Apologizing. Just kidding. I've never read that book. I read parts of Girl Wash Your Face. As I've said before, she called me a gangsta, and I pretty much bowed out from there. I have a lot of concerns <laughs> as it relates to her teachings. Nothing against her personally, necessarily, because I don't really know how much of somebody's personal life translates into what they teach. But I don't know. A lot of people ask me to deep dive Rachel Hollis, and I never know, you know, when, where, how is the best way, because she is so popular. And I don't want to be a contrarian just raging against something popular. But, you know, I do have my my issues with her her teachings in terms of the major blind spot of privilege, in terms of the ignorance as it relates to mental health, in terms of, you know, shaming people for things they can't control. I've talked about this before, I think. I talk about it more on Instagram. I talk about Rachel Hollis a little bit on the episode, actually a lot on the episode Murder and Macaroons. And I believe at the end of the first Mormon Mommy bloggers, I think I kind of vaguely talk about how much I hate gurus. But I don't know. Maybe I'll do a deep dive someday. I, I just don't know. Like, I haven't read both books. I feel like it would only be fair if I did. Do I really want to spend my time reading both books? I'm not sure. I think she's a good writer. I just think that, you know, anytime you're basing a, a lot of advice on your own personal experience, there just needs to be an element of separation, um, especially when you're going in hard on somebody, telling them, like, it's their fault for X, Y, Z. It's like, no, it's not. And it's incredibly insensitive and problematic to make people to try to motivate people by making them feel worse for things they can't control and for things you don't have because of your privilege that you're actively ignoring. And um, anyway, see, if I start talking about it, I'll get into it. But maybe uh, I don't know. The other problem is, too, like I talk on this podcast for my own my own experience, my own place of privilege, like all this visco girl crap. It's like visco girl, wash your face, like relax. But I, I don't it's hard to separate yourself sometimes between like I I mean, I my my childhood was was it was it was lovely and it was simple and it was cushy and I was incredibly lucky. And even though I joke about my, um, you know, the, the the perils of sitting in front of a desktop computer crying because perhaps my crush abruptly signed offline. Perhaps my mom picked up the phone and it booted me offline. And then when, you know, we were in the middle of an intense conversation and then, you know, by the time I dialed back up, he was offline. Maybe I was crying because my CD took eight hours to buffer and stopped at 80 percent. Like at the, 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 these hormonal volatile times, these are your experiences and they're so sensory because of how intensely emotional I felt at that time as a person with a lot of feelings, period. But you add in that that uh, period of time and it just becomes a complete emotional disaster. And yeah, those things are ridiculous in comparison to what so many people endure. And it sounds ridiculous to even joke about it as a hard time. But you know what's funny about like being in a, a super like melancholic, emotional person um, well, anyways, I, my point there, I, what I'm, what I mean is like, I know that so much of this podcast, it's like, I don't want to be one of those people that it's like, you sound, you're like, well, shut up. Like no one can relate to that. Or, you know, you have no idea what other people go through, how they live and all that stuff, because it's, it's like, you want to joke and reflect on your own experience and, but you don't want to isolate people that didn't have it. You don't want to act ungrateful for how good it was, despite relative you know, to your own experience, it seemed bad, even though it's not bad relative to the rest of the world. It's just, yeah, it's an interesting challenge because 
you know, you experience a lot of stuff or like, you know, with starting my business or writing the book and taking some different career leaps, I always want to be able to provide advice. But I worry about that point when it's like you're speaking to somebody that's just so, you know, in, in an identical situation to yours and that you have to be so mindful of the danger of giving somebody that advice who's in a situation that will ultimately be the demise of their dreams, not the springboard. And I think that's why I'm obsessive about telling people not to quit their jobs and follow their dreams. Like, you know, hit your wagon to a star, like on the side from, you know, six to 9 p.m. on weeknights and then on weekends when you have time and just like make a working business model before you quit your job and leave your income. And you have no idea how hard it is to just like have money come out of thin air. And it just takes a really long time and a lot of reinvention and a lot of misses. And so much advice is grounded in motivation and in gaining energy. And in doing that, it's very big picture. It's very fluffy. Um, and it's so, so little of it is focused in execution. And I just think like so much more focus needs to be on the reality of the situation. Like, okay, like here's how you can crunch your numbers. Here's how you know if you can afford to follow a dream. Here's how you know if your dream is commercially viable in the marketplace you know, here's what your family dynamic is going to look like if you have no time. You know, it's it's I just think that like I it, it kills me to think about people going and paying to go to something with such pure intentions because they want to change their life. But being given a set of tools that are only applicable to somebody who's not in their situation. It's like when you're building furniture and you need a Phillips head screwdriver and you have a flathead and you're just like straight up carving more dents into the screw instead of turning it whatsoever but you're like oh it vaguely looks like a screwdriver and this is a screw and i'm told this is supposed to work but like it just doesn't it's not a fit like there, there's 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 detail and precision that goes into what makes situations work and while sure some of it's up to chance you need to give people the best chance of success and the best chance of success is not a one-size-fits-all solution whatsoever and I think so often what happens with these people, these like guru types, is I think they start from a good place. I think they're well-intentioned. But I think what happens is you get popular. It grows. Uh, it's a different voice. A lot of people are interested in it. They tell their friends. And it becomes this kind of like machine that's greater than you that you have to figure out how to scale your words. And to scale your words, especially as it relates to self-help or advice, when you want to be making more and more money, like, yeah, you can sell more books and write more articles and whatever. But like these conferences and this like guru style and these like huge ticket um, coaching sessions you offer and like to grow and grow and grow and make more and more and more money, you either, you know, modify your messaging to be as universal as possible or you keep it but you, know, you pretend like it applies to everybody but you, you really don't ever you don't really follow through you're not there wing to wing you're just blowing a lot of smoke and hoping for the best and moving on to the next conference and i just feel like the the hollow you know you can do it boss babe motivation and the money these people are spending to go see these speeches where quotes are being plagiarized from like everywhere. And it's not always obvious, but when you look into it, there's so many quotes in, especially in Girl Stop Apologizing. There's like a meme that's called Girl Stop Plagiarizing because it's so bad. It's ugh, crap. Now I'm like, did I talk about, I, I don't know. It's like a lot of people are like, can you talk about Rachel on the podcast? I'm like, I think I did, but how far back have you listened? And I don't want to repeat myself, but you know, recently I was going 
through like she has this conference coming up in Chicago and the like it's the about section of like who's coming to Rachel's conference. It says Rachel was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 30 entrepreneurs under 30 and she is deeply passionate about empowering women in business. And then I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, let's empower women. Who are the speakers? I'm always looking for more female entrepreneurs to inspire me. Speaker one, Josh Altman from Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles. I could not care less what Josh Altman has to tell me. Uh, Number two, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. I'm sure he's just going to try to give me a garbage licensing deal. I'm not interested. Number three, a dude named Dean. Um, I don't know him, but apparently he wrote Millionaire Success Habits. But again, a dude. Four, Marcus Limonis. Is that how you say his last name? He's from The Prophet, which I have watched. But again, he's from that CNBC show. He's a millionaire and a man. Number five is a mystery guest who seems to have hair that looks like a woman's. But for all I know, it's like John Paul Jones from Bachelor in Paradise because she just wants to support men while empowering women. To to claim that you all you care about is transforming the lives of millions of women and then to actively not give those women that whose lives you've allegedly transformed a platform to tell their stories firsthand to more people that could benefit from Rachel's teachings. Like, why wouldn't you want testimonials? Why wouldn't you want firsthand examples of wild success? If your program is worth 300 plus dollars a ticket, shouldn't you be featuring the women that have benefited from it or have none? You know what I mean? And like the women that have benefited from it might have been set up for success already. And that's so hard to tell. But it just upsets me when people could be giving others their big break. And when people, you know, aren't it's like, yeah, we don't want to overly separate ourselves as women, but we also want to be mindful of the unique set of issues we have as women that only other women can tell us how to live our lives and give us advice about. As the great Rachel Green once said, no uterus, no opinion. Like I I am so interested in a lot of aspects of of motherhood and working. And it's something that gives me a ton of anxiety. And I don't really care what Josh Altman has to tell me about how Heather balances it all, you know? Um, but I had said this on Instagram, like examples of like kind of the issues with plagiarism um, in terms of like on Instagram, she'll post like a Pinteresty quote and some like funky font of a quote she said from Girl Stop Apologizing. And like one is ambition is not a dirty word. Ambition is not a dirty word is um, a book from 2008 written by somebody named Deborah Condren. And it's called A Woman's Guide to Earning Her Worth and Achieving Her Dreams. And like, literally, that's the title of it. So this is what I struggle with, because I think I'm, I probably repeat things people say all the time. And I don't really know where I heard them. I am obsessed with words and language. And when I hear something I like, I pick it up. Am I saying like I can do things through all Christ that gives me strength? I made that up myself. No, but I like didn't I say like Queen Icon Legend earlier? Like Danny Pellegrino says it all the time. I love him. I listen to him all the time. So, you know, you pick up on things and don't even hear like realize you're saying them. And it's not that you don't. So, you know, that's what I want to be careful with. It's like out of context. This looks so bad. Does she, you know, does she really think she made them up is what I don't know. It's confusing. Another example is, is like there's this book from 2017 called Hey Ladies, Stop Apologizing. And it's in the exact same font as Girl Stop Apologizing, her book that came out in 2019. And it's just like so funny. It just it's hardly distinct. And like the one of the things she says that she says a lot, like she directly will quote herself on her Instagram is that she says, Someone else's opinion of you is none of your business. 
She did not say that. She did not make that up. I've heard that a million times. That that is like a that's like therapy, you know, 101, I feel like. But also there is a book from 1988 by this self-help person named Terry Cole Whitaker. And it's called What You Think of Me is None of My Business. And I think that like it's that a lot of the the quotes are kind of derivative from that. It's a concept that was popularized in the 80s. It's a clever quote. But to quote yourself, that's what's stupid. It's like it's put, put up the quote, but don't put your name at the bottom of it. It's so like gratuitous. It's so unnecessary. It's so indulgent. And it's so strange to me. And um, it, I, there's just like so many bizarre things that I have trouble reconciling. It's It's a lot of contradiction and a lot of um, I don't know. Like she got, she has a tattoo that says mogul. If that tells you it's how somebody feels about themselves, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to discourage a woman from being proud about what she's built, but also, you know, you have to be mindful of not taking credit for something that's not yours. And beyond the like plagiarism piece, like there's so many quotes that, you know, you know, you've vaguely heard before, but you're kind of like, okay, the most Pinterested one says Rachel Hollis said it. So I guess it's hers now. It's kind of that same issue with like Marilyn Monroe and Eleanor Roosevelt and Audrey Hepburn. It's like every basic B that shops for artwork in the Marshalls and TJ Maxx clearance aisle is some quote by one of those three women that's interchangeable somehow. Like, well-behaved women rarely make history. Marilyn Monroe, like Eleanor Roosevelt. Like, I don't think Eleanor Roosevelt said that. I'm pretty sure she said the thing about, you know, the only person that can make you feel inferior is yourself, which is a great quote. But if somebody attributed that to Audrey Hepburn, I'd be like, oh my God, like life does not revolve around breakfast at Tiffany's. Relax. Like, I'm very not Audrey Hepburn obsessed. I don't really understand Audrey Hepburn obsessions because I don't really watch old movies. I'm sure Breakfast at Tiffany's is a great one. I just have always laughed at how I feel like there's certain like uh, cult, like pop cultural icons that if you don't have anybody else to talk about, you just like draw out of your hat because they're the most like recognizable and ubiquitous. But anyway, I'm being a bitch. Uh, <laughs> um but yeah, the other piece, too, that I had talked about on Instagram that people asked me to kind of elaborate on on here is like, you know, in the Girl Wash Your Face, I read a little bit of it and not all. But, you know, of course, she says things like, you know, continuing to reach for a better version of myself, even when people openly judge me for it. I'm gangster like that. Like, oh, no, no, no. It's 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 appropriating. It's cringy. It's so many things. And then, you know, she'll have moments where I'm like, yeah, for sure. She'll say, like, I can't condone a world where women are emotionally abusing themselves because they don't think they're good enough. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. Totally. It's awesome. And then I'll read a quote that says, humans were not made to be out of shape and severely overweight. You can choose to continue to abuse your body because it's all you know. You can choose to settle for a half-lived life because you don't even know there's another way. But please stop making excuses for the wise. What part of that is telling women they're enough? Uh, why like what part of you not wanting women to emotionally abuse themselves excuses you over generalizing weight issues as a, a function solely of self-control uh, w- w- like is it supportive of women to shame people f- call their bodies out of shape to say they're abusing their bodies is it is it raising people up and motivating them to be them be their best selves by calling their lives half-lived like are you kidding me it's the, 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 the quotes about dieting and exercise and stuff are just like, so alarming, so misguided, so dangerous for how deep seated and and complicated issues with food and weight are, how, how big of a role genetics plays into it. 
There's so many factors of health that pertain to weight gain, whether you're taking medication or antidepressants or you have issues with your thyroid. I mean, there's a million and one reasons why you have no control over your weight. And if you're going to a woman for self-help who is making you feel like absolute garbage for something beyond your control, it is the absolute farthest thing from telling people that they're good enough. And that's what that's what frustrates me is like, you know, I, and I mean, I'm sure like I have an element of like jealousy here, right? Like I'm a writer. I want to write books. I have, you know, largely most of what I've written are like children's books, but I want to be able to write other stuff, too. And I want to be able to use my words to help people. And would they be subjective to my experience? Yeah. But I feel like the important thing that I would want to get across to anybody that was coming to me is like, go freaking easy on yourself. You know, like you got to work hard. You got to have self-discipline, but you already know that. Like, let's work through the other stuff, the other noise. It's not getting you there. And it has nothing to do with what you look like. It has nothing to do with what you weigh. Those are issues that are yours and, and yours alone that we can talk about if and when you want to, if and when you think it's an issue. But honestly, it doesn't really matter what you look like because there's no right or wrong as it relates to your looks, your weight, your body. It, it's it's so it's so upsetting to hear somebody that is looked at by millions for for help and for guidance and for motivation. And when you open the book and it's about not keep, like maintaining your diet and what she's telling you and I and I quote, y'all, would you respect her? Okay, so she's talking about a friend that loses weight and then gains it back and says, y'all, would you respect her? Would you count on Pam or the friend who keeps blowing you off for stupid reasons? Would you trust them when they committed to something? Would you believe them when they committed to you? No. And she's basically using weight as an example, uh, as a, a reason to project onto somebody as a whole or yourself as a whole that you are untrust, untrustworthy, unreliable, undisciplined. And really, you not caring for your weight is is a fundamental character flaw. And it's just like, what? But that kind of doesn't even like scratch the surface. I said I wasn't going to get into this, but we're here. Of the messaging about mental health. So again, guys, like I'm not opposed to her just like, I, it's not like really about who she is or anything personal. I don't really know her personally. I just think that the way the shtick she's adopted, because a lot of the, um, I don't know, it's, it's like she wanted to adopt this like tough love shtick where she's like, let me give you alternative advice under the veil of Christianity. Like, moms prioritize yourself like I agree we should prioritize ourselves and our well-being and our self-care but that paired with this sort of like you know emotional berries boot camp of like you know if you're not able to control all your thoughts and your positivity and your moods and all this stuff then like go f yourself you're the worst like you should be able to have full control and the problem is scientifically like it's just it's just untruthful and to tell people so deliberately like you should be able to do X, therefore you will yield Y, and the person can't do X, and they feel like more of a failure than they already did, which is why they came to this workshop in the first place, because you're 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 selling them a bill of goods that is literally false. It's it's that's what's upsetting because she'll say things like it's impossible to feel anxiety and gratitude simultaneously. And in, that incites me. You can't shame people for having complex emotions. You can't you can't say that because it makes emotions seem uncomplicated. It makes people suffer even more through conditions that are treatable because they think they can think their way out of it. They can think their way out of anxiety. They can think their way out of depression and placing constant fault on the individual for things that are uncontrollable, like weight, like mental health, is not empowering. It's damaging. 
And when you're saying like interrupt anxiety with gratitude, it's and you have the number one best-selling self-help book in the past you know, few years. When you're saying, you know, it's impossible to feel anger and gratitude simultaneously, fight negative emotion with gratitude. I just like to pay someone so much money and to be told to fight negative emotion with gratitude. Do I believe in gratitude? You betcha. Like, I think all of that stuff is so important. Visualizations, affirmations, gratitude. Like I have a gratitude journal. Like all of these things are so important to our to our mental health and, and to not you know, wallowing to not down spiraling to an irreparable place of misery, because some of those things are slightly controllable. But I think that all of those aspects of self-discipline as it relates to controlling your thoughts are they're they're uh, they're another variable, but they're not the core driver. They're like more of a coefficient to medical science in terms of mental health. And when you suggest that we all should have full jurisdiction of all at all times of at, of everything running through our minds, like Another quote she has is, you have, the, you have to choose to be positive, to see possibility, and to see the blessings in your life each day. You choose your thoughts, and there isn't one thing running through your mind that you don't allow to be there. It, it, no. <laughs> you, okay, again, you have to choose to be positive, to see possibility, and to see blessings in your life each day. You choose your thoughts, and there isn't one thing running through your mind that you don't allow to be there. Oh, my God. Can can you imagine saying that to somebody with like an anxiety disorder, a panic disorder, a depression, bipolar disorder, border? I mean, like people suffer, millions of people suffer every day from things beyond their control as it relates to what goes on in their head and making those people feel even more inadequate, even more inept and even more of a loss of control by suggesting it's their fault. Because there isn't one thing running your mind that you don't allow to be there. It's, you know, I I could get what she's trying to do. And I get that she's trying to be positive. And I get that, like, all gratitude and positivity and all these things are important. And that sometimes people wallow in problems that aren't necessarily problems. And, you know, it's important to learn to reframe. It's important to learn to how to be resilient and to, you know, navigate life's challenges and, you know, to take your mental health seriously, whether you go to therapy or whoever you talk to, to identify a set of tools to work through the things you deal with better. But it's just such a harsh oversimplification and such a vacant way to to talk about happiness, positivity, mental health, all of that stuff, that in, in the irony of all ironies, instead of empowering you to stand stronger in who you are and your journey and what you're dealing with and what you're feeling, it shames you into becoming the very type of person that the book is actively working against. Because when you suggest that you should just feel better automatically, that, you know, you, you'd you rather offer the world your imperfect attempts at positivity than your perfectly articulated negativity. That's a direct quote. I'd rather offer the world imperfect attempts at positivity than your perfectly articulated negativity. Stuff like this is what makes people not open up to other people, what makes them suffer in silence, what makes them feel uncomfortable about seeking help, what makes people unable to work through their own issues. Because so often I think that we're not looking to, for others to, to fix us. We're looking for a sounding board. We're looking to re- reach our own conclusions. And yes, there's a point where you're ruminating and you're not being helpful. And, you know, th- these this discussion's layered. But very baseline, I think that the irony of 
telling people that any negative words or complaining about their life or telling people about their issues is negativity is the very behavior that makes somebody walk away from a conversation where they really opened up to somebody. And what do they do? They apologize. They feel uncomfortable. They feel like they shouldn't have done that, that they weighed the other person down, like their problems aren't legit, that they should be able to think their way out of them and that they shouldn't they don't have the right to sit there and confess that they're actually dealing with something real. They, 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 if they are the gatekeepers of any and all emotions, then they are a failure for allowing negativity to take over. And when you're telling people, you know, girls, stop apologizing, while simultaneously kind of injecting the, a layer of shame into people's my, already cluttered minds, that is the very type of feeling you have when you're down on yourself when you feel less than when you feel inadequate and when you constantly what apologize to everyone you see because you're like i'm sorry i'm negative i'm sorry i shouldn't have opened up i, sh- I shouldn't have said anything i shouldn't uh, like i'm so sorry i'm in your way Da-da-da. like the, that type of person is what we need to be like helping to like sit in their truth and not adapt somebody else's bed in a bag self-help solution that they're packaging to be as universal as possible, that's utter, utterly filled with shtick because they need to sell books and not change lives. When you're trying to make that bed in a bag fit to your specific situation, it's just it's just not going to work. So what what ways and what tools and what, what can we do to help you figure out like who you are, why you are the way you are, what you can and can't control and how to move forward more fearlessly, having more of a more self-awareness and less self-doubt and self-loathing for the things you've done wrong in the past, but rather it and all I can focus on going forward is improving. It's it's just, it, it incites me. And I just, I don't, it's like not necessarily personal to Rachel Hollis because I don't know anything about her. I just read these words and this is how these words make me feel. And I'm sure there's a lot of things in the books that help people. If this gets people off their butt and makes them start a business and pursue their dreams and it works for them, that is amazing. Like, I think any avenue that gets you there is fine. I just think that like you have to be so careful in this like self-help, self-care category. And you cannot forget that the person on the other side of the page is often vulnerable at best in despair at worst. And there's a huge responsibility in terms of giving people hard and fast mental health advice when you yourself are not an expert in the field. And I think part of the charm of these books, which I'm I'm not necessarily against, is her, her whole shtick is like, I'm not an expert, but this is what worked for me. And I think it's fair, you know, to a degree to be like, this is what worked for me and this is what will likely work for a lot of people in my situation. But then the the trouble is when there's things interjected like weight and like, you know, gratitude and anxiety can't coexist and like, these murky things that don't really, you know, they're, they're really, they're hot takes, they're harsh opinions. And they do kind of breach into a territory that an expert does need to be involved in speaking to. Like, you can speak to your experience and the fluff all you want, but don't tell somebody, you know, what to do with their body and how they should feel about their mind when you really have no grounds to be speaking about it. And I, I mean, I need to stop here. But like, you know what I mean. Anyways, I, okay, there you go. There we go. We just dove. We dove. Did I? And I hope I didn't repeat myself from what I said earlier, but <sighs> Visco girl, wash your face. Here we are. I guess that's my episode title, right? Uh, the other thing I wanted to go over that's a little more lighthearted. This is why it's hard when I'm people are like, what's the best episode? Tell me your favorite. I'm like, 
Yeah, we got a we got a pretty big pendulum of me like, you know, I think some days you're into like more upbeat positive stuff and some days you're into more like intense stuff. And when I flip flop, when I swing this pendulum between both, I think it's very confusing for people. But what are you going to do? We're here. And um, today on on Instagram, I asked people to share with me their worst Facebook album names, um, you know, from years past, because I think there's this hilarious, you know, similar to what was your, you know, most inappropriate Abercrombie T-shirt. One of my favorite things to do is to ask people who are the photo takers of the friend group to go back and look at your Facebook album titles because they were they were an art and a science. Okay, hold that thought real quick before um, we get to that segment of the podcast. If you guys recall, I, I wrote a book called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, and it, I wrote it at a time when I I I was you know having trouble self promoting on social media. I did not understand how people got spawn con how people were paid to do it i just would watch people sell products and i was like damn like this is not as easy as it looks and you know today's a big day because one of the characters in my book sells a specific product that just so happens to be sponsoring this podcast and i i am thrilled because while in my book there's a little character she's called princess in the tea and no i'm not selling tea but much like Princess and the Pea, she is sitting on a bunch of mattresses because like Princess and the Pea, theoretically, if she's a princess, she should be able to feel the tea underneath the mattresses. But the line is, hold your head high and don't listen to any of those snobby actresses. One day they'll lay their head down wishing they could sell memory foam mattresses. And guys, that's kind of like my mic drop is my book slam. Um, I am so excited. You know who's sponsoring this podcast is Helix. Helix is an awesome mattress company that is even better than a memory foam mattress company only. They sent us a bed. <laughs> and well, A, you know, I don't sleep, period. I'm a vampire and um, I need a comfortable place to sleep, but I also need a comfortable place to lurk in the depths of the night in that cold blue light of my iPhone that I love to talk about, taking a deep scroll through the rabbit holes of the internet. I like to be equally cozy sleeping or doing that. And when I tell you that I... Fortunately or unfortunately, have been lulled to sleep because I've been comfortable finally. We had like a two hundred dollar mattress from Amazon we bought several years ago. It was fine, but like I maybe didn't I maybe underestimated my tossing and turning, and I maybe underestimated that I wasn't sleeping because maybe I was a smidge uncomfortable and until I was like about to pass out, I wasn't sleeping. But you guys know I love an online quiz and I love customization and I love when people are working hard to remove middlemen to remove markup and to actually acknowledge when things are important to customize for the individual. And Helix is a different take on the mattress in a box concept. Instead of going with a one mattress fits all approach, they focus on customization to your height, to your weight, to do you sleep on your side, your stomach, etc. So, uh, for example, you go to helixsleep.com slash be there on five, just how the show is spelled F-I-V-E. And you take the quiz, you have to say like, okay, I want this size mattress for how many sleepers you have to say how old you are, you have to say your height, you have to say your weight, you go through your sleep position, you go through the feel in terms of soft and firm, you go through you know, the, how much relief are you looking for with your back, et cetera. I mean, it's really detailed. And even regardless, just take the quiz because I think it's enlightening in terms of what they suggested because it populated something that I might not necessarily have chosen for myself, but like we're obsessed with. And um, I just think it's a really interesting concept. And I support companies that are trying to disrupt 
these types of products that we spend so much money on, we spend so much time with yet have like so such limited options. It really it's kind of crazy when you think about it. But it, Helix Sleep was actually awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired. And there's a 10 year warranty that you get to try out for 100 nights risk free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But honestly, you will. And mine's not mine. This mattress is like thick. I, I, I wish I knew more about like the mechanics of it. But trust me when I say it's legit. It's durable. It is so high quality. I cannot believe it popped out of a box. Um, and we're like beyond impressed and laughing at ourselves for the mattress we've had for three years. But anyways, again, go to helixsleep.com. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash be there in five B-E-T-H-E-R-E-I-N-F-I-V-E. Just how the show is spelled for up to $125 off all mattress orders for be there in five listeners at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. I mean, just take the quiz. Try it out. I think it's really interesting, and I, I sincerely mean that. And I, I guess there's nothing else to say but twinkle, twinkle. Look who's selling mattresses now. <laughs> All right, now back to the show. Things to do is to ask people who are the photo takers of the friend group to go back and look at your Facebook album titles because they were they were an art and a science. You You had to lure people in. You know, the whole point of Facebook, it largely still is, but especially you know, I'd say in the, well, it was started in what, 2005? In 2006, seven, when like the photos feature first happened, there was like a solid handful of years where it it was the official platform of just showing your high school friends you're having more fun than they are and or showing your ex you're just, you, you know, the best revenge is living well. Not only are you smoking hot now, you also are super fun. And hot plus fun in all of our heads equals you know, your ex sitting at home crying, listening to the fray. And while it probably never happened, I, you know, love to think that, you know, based on the, the sentiment of my away message or, you know, me changing my profile picture to like a smoke and hot photo where I didn't know how to exactly take the red eye out. So while slightly demonic, I'm also wearing an adorable, you know, golf pros tennis hose outfit to show that I'm having a blast in my sorority and doing things with boys. It's like everything had these underlying, you know, double, triple meanings of what you hope people would garner from them upon viewing them. And Facebook albums are a thing where people use a lot of song titles, a lot of inappropriate words, a lot of god-awful spellings, asterisks, squigglies. That's the entire premise of that episode, Ween Picks, is like, I was laughing uncontrollably when we did this at a friend's bachelorette party. And my friend, who was so sweet and like, so didn't even think twice about doing this, posted an album of Halloween photos and titled the album Ween Picks and it still exists and it's like still visible. <laughs> and it just sounds like dick pics. And it's just, and even she listened to my podcast episode and then texted me and was like, until you said that they reminded you of actual pics of weens, I never, I never even knew why it was funny. I just thought you thought the word choice was funny. I was like, no, because it says ween picks. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. And I have another friend who it makes me laugh so hard because she when she first moved to Chicago in the early 2010s, um, she has this album called um, it's like took my talents to Chai Town or like living it up in the Chai. And it's spelled like C-H-A-I. And it's like it's something you know, it's took took her talent. I don't know. It's something about like living it up. I took my talents to Chi Town, like concrete jungle where dreams are made of Midwest style, like 
look at me and I was I just remember being like, oh, my God, so fun. Like, I'm probably in this album. What's it about? And I click on it and it is just 36 photos of a gorilla. <laughs> I just went to the Lincoln Park Zoo and took 36 photos of a gorilla. <laughs> so stupid. But it's things like this that are just like my absolute favorite. And, you know, we we weren't in an area era of, of presets and high saturation and HDR and, and graininess in photos of visco girls of we weren't in an era where you had to have flow on your nine block. We weren't in an area of a, a, arena of aesthetics whatsoever that unfortunately, thanks to the bloggers. Just kidding. Love you all. Um, in 2011. I'd say that's when we all realized, like, oh, our sh- our stuff should be like pretty. Uh, but for a while there, it was a total free for all. It was like, oh my god, a gorilla! It moved a little to the left, it moved a little to the right. Oh my god, it's sleeping. The people need to know. And you uploaded it, and you probably got tons of likes, and it just didn't matter. And it was, it was a time of great freedom, but also great burden uh, for many of you, probably not knowing what is still out there. And I asked people today what were their. Uh, <laughs> Best Facebook album title names, and I'll read you a few because I just I don't know why. If I don't, these are just so stupid. <laughs> Was there some sort of like basic oh five chick like glossary of <laughs> album titles to choose from? It's funny because like they're just considerably lamer than Instagram captions. Like I feel like Instagram captions will use a pun, maybe a song lyric, but like. These are just so sign of the times for me. Okay, let's just like go through some different like groupings. There's there's different types um, of album titles. I'd say one one category are uh, nonsensical inside jokes that are the funny part almost is that in you sending me them, I have no idea what they are and nor do anybody on your Facebook. So when you're like, what's that smell? Spring Break 09, you know. I don't know what that is, but that's actually funny because the girl sent me a screen grab of the album that is called What's That Smell? And it's literally (laughs) it's literally of a mouse that got trapped under a carpet and they're like quest to uncover this dead mouse and then like heavy photographic evidence of this dead mouse. And it's just like, why do we feel like we needed to share this stuff? I guess on the one hand, but we do it on Instagram stories, but it disappears. So it's just funny to think of like. This must this will stand the test of time. People are going to care about the horrible smell on my spring break because there was a mouse that died under the carpet. There's there's the inside jokes I don't understand, but I appreciate those who sent photos for context. I was laughing so hard. Um, But then, you know, for for every basic B out there, there's a handful of album titles that you just know are safe. You know, no offense, ladies, but there there is the, the, the token on creative girls that knew they could play it safe with an al- album title like May We Stay Forever Young. Um, but what was so funny is like the the safest of all the safe is to name it after the season. So I was bombarded with so many spring has sprung, spring-a-ling, spring-a-ding, spring-a-ling-a-ding-dong, spring-spring-sprung, I'll break your spring, sweet summertime, six-pack summer, summer breeze makes me feel fine, S-U-M-M number three are summertime girls are the kind I like a couple summer, summer, summer times, you know, gotta dig dig deep. (laughs) But my favorite that I forgot about because I loved this song, but totally forgot about it is so many people quoted dashboard confessional 
um, so long, sweet summer with obviously so long, sweet summer, but also, hey, thanks. Thanks for that summer. I mean, you know, is there any element of, I don't know if you call it lore. I don't know if you call it like, it's this wistful concept of youth. Maybe it's because of strawberry wine where I convince myself I too could have a very meaningful, fleeting, uh, intense summer only romance that would be so important to me. I would write songs about it and it would, I don't know, it would just make me, me tear up hearing Justin Timberlake, Summer Love, another popular title. Olivia Newton John, Summer Love, another popular title. I just so badly wanted to have a love affair with some random boy on vacation with his family from like New Jersey in the Outer Banks and and thought like, oh, maybe he'll ask me to go get shaved ice. And like, no, nobody ever talked to me. But somehow like all the hot girls at school, like always would meet these like summer boyfriends or have like camp boyfriends. Like I truly, you know, maybe if, if you were like super hot your whole life, like when you were 12 or 13, maybe you should come on the podcast. I, I really I'm interested in people like Kaya Gerber who have never faced adversity in terms of how people respond to you and your looks. Like, I don't care. You know, I, I know, you know, it's on the inside, what counts, all that stuff. Like, I'm not a shallow monster. What I'm saying is, th- you know, things are different, especially when you're younger, for very attractive people. People respond to them differently. They're always popular. They don't have as many issues with boys. I, I don't know. I just feel like things in especially like middle and early high school are just like made in the shade. That's another great album title um, for like mega hotties. And I didn't find my footing till a fateful bottle of sun in when I was 15. Uh, oh, I got I, you know, once I got off my braces, got out the expanders, found sun in, realized my mousy hair would bleach blonde on like a lot of people's who turned orange. I was tan. I, I I forged my age and like I think my mom's signature at a tanning salon. I, you know, learned to pluck my eyebrows. I, I think we all had like a transformation. And well, even I look back on that time and I'm like, ooh. So I mean, needless to say, I've always like felt okay about myself. Like, you know, we all have our moments. I, I didn't really put that much stock in my looks at a younger age because I was too busy like writing poems in the dark, but uh it's like an ongoing joke in my family. Like, it looks like I got a face transplant. Like, my looks really, really changed. And I think it's interesting when people just, like, never endure an awkward phase. And when I look at teens now, they don't look awkward to me. But maybe they will in 10, 15 years, you know? You just, uh, whatever, I'm getting on a tangent. Anyway, back to album titles. You know, I'd say, I don't know, 90% are Kenny Chesney quotes. <laughs> Like, remember that song, I Go Back? When I graduated high school, I Go Back was a song, and it was, it's, it's, I'd maybe cry still listening to it because it's very much about leaving behind your high school friends. Um, and that's when, you know, watching summer fade to fall. So, of course, after we have spring a sprung, spring a ling, spring a ling a ding dong, spring, 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 I'll break your spring, sweet summertime, six pack summer, summer breeze makes me feel fine, summer loving, hey, thanks, thanks for that summer, sweet summertime, watching summer fade to fall. Wishing time would stop right in its tracks. It's fall, y'all. Fall is in the air. Fall is in the air, air, which respect to you for incorporating a classic album title like Fall is in the Air with the hit song in the air. Um, you know, we have the tans will fade, but the memories will last forever. Less than sign three, 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 three. <laughs> Smiley face. Um, I mean, we've got a lot of Dave Matthews up in here. A lot of, uh, wait, who's it? 
this is not Dave Matthews, but time is never wasted when you're wasted all the time. That I forgot about that quote. That's a very live for the nights you'll never remember with friends you'll never forget, except it's horrible. Time is never wasted when you're wasted all the time. Yowzas. And along those lines, too, there's so many album titles about blacking out. Like, why are we so comfortable telling people we like to black out? It's like blackout or get out. White out, white and blackout party. Brianna's blackout 21st. Lights out, blackout. I mean, truly, so many blackouts. <laughs> and then a number from what I do believe is Kesha's TikTok. And no, Nicole, I do not believe before you leave, you brush your teeth with a bottle of Jack, but I'm glad the party doesn't start till you walk in. There are so many people that had the party don't start till I walk in. A lot of alternating caps. One girl specified that it was just photos of um, her friends in hoodies drinking four locos. <laughs> I love when you guys describe what it is. It makes it even funnier because like um, one girl said, Spring Brick 08 was the album title. But it was just pics of me organizing my boyfriend's closet. Did you take pictures? Why did he put you to work? How much? <laughs> it was stupid. <laughs> this girl said, no album title, just a full album of selfies of me with my mom's office equipment. <laughs> Why'd you do that? <laughs> like, oh, the places you'll go. But it's just pics of me, my friend in a cardboard cutout of Justin Bieber. Like, is that what is Theodore Geisel, one Dr. Seuss thought of when he wrote the graduation classic, oh, the places you'll go? Probably. The two less lonely girls. Nothing wrong with that. Um, there is like a lot of mentions of how you would go to like <laughs> Florida for two days over like a weekend, but you'd have like Florida 2K7 albums one through five. Like, how did you take five albums that hold a hundred photos in two days in Florida? It's 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 truly amazing. Um, a lot of people. A lot of turtle mentioning. So either you love turtles, you are like a huge Ramona Singer Turtle Time fan, or you're a Delta Zeta because like baby turtle, turtle hunting, turtle time, like a lot of turtles up in here. Um, a lot, some some bad sorority puns like and then a lion fell in love with a fi lamb. Okay, I can't. I, can't. Uh, I also love the ones that are like very invested in people saying out loud the onomatopoeia upon reading it like J -j -j july one of my my friend that house out the gorilla album she had one that was like B -b -b bean town and i'm like do you really think people are gonna <laughs> take the time to read it that emphatically but okie doke um there's one i posted on instagram that made me laugh so hard because it's a <laughs> it just says barnes and noble adventures which like compared to like blackout get out all time is never wasted when you're wasted all the time. Hot and dangerous, playing with fire. Shorty got looks. Shorty got class with five S's. Promiscuous girls. Um, doing it and doing it and doing it well. I'm hot because I'm fly. Skanks with five Z's. I just like bless your heart for having an album called Barnes and Noble Adventures. And, and like I say that because I spent a ton of time with the Barnes and Noble. There's an episode in one of the first 10 episodes. I detail how, um, you know, some people's parents would go like wait in line at the Sam Goody for when an album came out. But like my parents, you know, God bless them, had lives and discipline and, you know, made me work for it. So therefore, I would often not get access to CDs that came out and sold out like No Strings Attached, like Hanson Snowden. I take the back. That's the one time my mom went to the Sam Goody for me. God bless her. It's my favorite Christmas album. So I'd have to go to the Barnes and Noble and I'd have to listen to the demo tapes with the headphones that are attached to the kiosk. And you could only hear the chorus, much like iTunes. It's very depressing. And they're usually just singles. 
Uh, but I, I really look back on that time fondly because I, you know, get a Frappuccino. It would be poorly made because, as we all know, both Barnes & Nobles and airports uh, somehow make the most underwhelming beverages and despite heinously overcharging for them. They're because they're not real Starbucks. I'm like, what kind of training do these clowns have? I, I, I watch them forego nutmeg on a PSL and I'm like, OK, I don't want to be that girl. But, you know, this beverage is lacking a seasonal spice. It's, it's, it's frustrating. But I don't know. I, I, I used to love to go read Cosmo. I would go read Seventeen. I'd go read YM. I would just, like, drown myself in ridiculous articles about how to make him hot and learn about boys and learn about anatomy and learn about, like, discharges. <laughs> like, weird, gross questions people would ask about, like, I'm growing hair down there. And I just was like, I, got, I was like, tell me more. I couldn't have enough. Wasn't allowed to read them at home, so I'd go to Barnes and Noble, and it was, it was, it was, it was a simpler time, and I love it so much. But I just was laughing so hard when I got that submission because it was in between, like literally wedged between skanks with five Z's, and like we made it through college without getting pregnant. Great album title. <laughs> Obsessed with a lot of these song lyrics, especially how they're written. Like I less than three, I heart this record, baby, but I can't. Letter C, straight. Letter N, letter E, more. I heard, I love this record, baby, but I can't see straight anymore. I love that song. Um, the better judgment went south with a few sips of seven asterisks. Is that like blocking out a bad word? I'll have to look up what that is. You guys are probably laughing because it's something like inappropriate. Um, we divas with a Z, but we ride like big boys do. Great Danity Kane shout out. I love an unironic un drop of a Danity Kane lyric just because you were like a legit fan at the time. Um, a lot of this is the way I live, understandably. It's a real hodgepodge, like some are, you know, so, so wholesome or like standard, like friends in low places. Girls just want to have fun. Blue jean baby. But then it's like hands on your knees, hands on your knees. <laughs> <laughs> or I love like when I walk in the club, all eyes on me. Was that party rock anthem? What happens in Iowa stays in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, it it actually quite literally does. <laughs> I, I, meaning I just don't really know if the rest of us know, literally know what happens there. <laughs> um, let's see. The more boys I meet, the more I love my dog. I think that was on a t-shirt. Go Greek or go home. A lot of Greek stuff. A lot of Greek stuff. Um, what, whoa, this one, my favorite was the ones that were like, I found my camera cord because <laughs> that was a very real problem. Not having your USB cord. And like, God knows we were waiting with bated breath for your God awful photos of us blinking with like red faces and like beer pong stained uh, jean skirts. <laughs> I just love the ones that are like found my camera cord or like spring break pics. Finally, I like, guess if everybody was waiting for them. Um, Let's see. Halloween 09 is greater than swine 09 because the swine flu was happening. <laughs> you know, we can laugh now, right? There, what's the statute of limitations on a public health crisis? Uh, nobody likes you when you're 23. Classic. Um, the quarter I raised my GPA and BAC. You know what? Points for creativity. I like that. Uh, 25 sitting on 25 mil. <laughs> she caveats. I made $11 an hour. <laughs> yeast infection it was my first brewery tour oh no oh, God. That's too <laughs> you could have at least played on the words infection so it wasn't so literal you know i've been talking again like more rose a lot lately literal delightfully busy you know like yeast inspection like inspecting my first brewery you know
whatever. I'm not going to lie. If I was one of your friends at the brewery and I was like, Rachel tagged you in six photos from her album, Yeast Infection. It would be like super soaking those untags. That was another thing people did is like make their album titles like no untagging. No untags allowed. Tag, you're it. I mean, just like a lot of tagging things. Um, but yeah, why would threatening people not to untag is funny. Um, what time is it? Shot 30. Birthday concussion. Oof, rough stuff, girlfriend. <laughs> New Blackberry. <laughs> a lot of these I'm laughing just because I remember albums that are called. It's like, nobody cares you have a new Blackberry. Because also it's the camera. The camera on those were so bad. This girl loved Switch, Switch, Switch Foot, and she had two albums. One in all caps, this is your life, and the other one, are you who you want to be? <laughs> Intense. <laughs> oh, someone did she only drinks coffee at midnight. That was my away message, but the other part, it's a train song called Meet Virginia. She only drinks coffee at midnight when the moment is not right and the timing is quite unusual, and this is where I come in. You see, her confidence is tragic, but her intuition magic, which is truly the, 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 the both a cry for help and terrible taste in music and there's so many layers to that i regret as i've talked about but what i cannot get over is that two people not one but two went on a mission trip in high school and named their albums one was a doing it missionary style and one was just missionary style and guys were you not with a religious organization did did your youth leader with you youth master good looks not pull you aside and say hey this is save your jokes for uh you know, the dog adoption event, you clown. You, you, can, you can go with doggy style then, but let's, but let's maybe, you know, keep it together for posting pics of, like, the youths of Nicaragua and the school we built them. That was an interesting phenomenon. And, like, I know a lot of people in general have a lot of thoughts about this in the modern day, but specifically, to, like, in the past, so many people would go on these mission trips with, like, church or whatever, their youth groups, and, like, They'd have to pay a lot of money to go. And the church would kind of fundraise. But it was still kind of expensive. They'd go to third world countries and they would like build schools and stuff. But they'd also take like tons of pictures with these kids and post them on Facebook, like lots of them. And I always thought that was weird. I mean, not only because I was like, God, everyone now knows you're a better person than me, but also because it's like weird. I still think a lot of um, people call it like poverty porn. It's like when you depict uh, when you depict a country that is largely typecast as being, and I know this isn't even the correct word anymore, third world, but it's not. And like, it, it, it could probably really benefit from showing aspects of its economy that are thriving, but instead people choose to focus on the parts, whether they, whether they mean to or not, that from a spectator standpoint are so wildly different from the way we live, hence why they're taking a picture. I, I just always, I don't know, I've always thought that was like really weird. And like everybody would come back like wearing bandanas around their forehead and like they had group T-shirts and they had all these like inside jokes. And they were like, you know, enlightened all of a sudden and like would talk to me about how we don't even know how lucky we are. And I'm like, what? Stop. Like, relax. You're there for four days. You stayed in a Ramada Inn. One of those four days, they like took you out for a beach day. You basically were at like a a port of a carnival cruise line and like went just two miles inland, built a school, took a bunch of pictures with innocent kids that shouldn't be plastered all over the Internet, uploaded it to Facebook and hope your crush all of a sudden thinks your mother, Teresa. Like, relax. Again, mission work is good. And I encourage everybody to do something altruistic. Uh, it's It's wonderful. But I just mean when you're young, again, this is not current times. I just mean when you're young, 
your motivations, you know, things aren't always from the heart. They are largely from the, you know, the ego, perhaps the, the, look how great I'm doing. Look how hot I am. Look how fun I am. Look how funny my friends are. Look what a great time we're having. Don't you wish you were here? You wish you were us. If you hate us, you ain't us. It's this very, those times were marked with a level of intentional FOMO inducing content before we even had FOMO to describe it. And it was tough. It was tough. The evolution of a badass A2M, aka ass to mouth. Whoa, you were 17? Whoa. <laughs> is that what happens in Iowa? I don't know. <laughs> um, is this a strip club or ATO formal? Sounds wholesome. I'm engaged is the album title, but it's just a bunch of blurry pics of Lil Wayne. <laughs> oh, God. We've got another, another one that's swine flu related. Fornication, all caps, a.k.a. Super Bowl. Must have been an inside joke. I'm going to argue maybe you went to California and you just decided to call it fornication. And then, of course, the ever popular, like, web shots, 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 shots are just regular shots, 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 or just spring break shots, 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 or like date party shots, 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 shots. We're just like, we're visionaries. We're Millennials are truly like, we are, we are the world, we are the future, we are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start living. Uh, okay, I'll, I need to stop. I just keep getting in good ones. I mean, I got blackout, makeout, or get out. Like, that's a classic. Is that Shakespeare? It's beautiful. Anyway, I should move on. And by move on, I mean I should probably blow this popsicle stand. We're a minute 45, and this is a real hodgepodge of an episode. But I had fun. I hope you did, too. Um, next week, we'll probably do sororities and then another under the influencer. I have a couple awesome ones coming up. And then I have some fun stuff planned for Patreon. Today, I had this overwhelming urge to do a Gilmore Girls deep dive. And I think I'm going to make it happen because if I can't use my own platform to lament how Renaissance Fair Liz and, you know, Geek Burger Space Camp April almost derailed my perfect series, then who the hell am I going to talk to about it? And based on the Facebook group's reaction, of course, so many of you guys love Gilmore Girls. Like, I, at times I'm like, why would I doubt you? Of course you love Gilmore Girls. And if you don't, I don't care. But at least respect Amy Sherman Palladino's brilliant writing. And I hope you're at least getting into the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which she also writes because her scripts, they are wordy, they are intricate, they are chock full of references that you won't get for 10 minutes. And that is the brilliance and the speed and the 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 whip smart uh, type of dialogue that I just like live and breathe like that's a television show I'll sit down and watch because I'm actually getting smarter watching it you know what I mean like I I think that I love talented writers I think Amy Sherman Palladino is one of the best and if you haven't watched Gilmore Girls may I suggest a, a a nostalgic binge it's it's truly a delight and it's gonna take a minute to get used to the style but you you will not be sorry I know a lot of people don't like it. But it's probably because in passing on like the WB or CW or UPN, you were like, uh, these girls talk a little too fast. Like, less Gilmore Girls, more Wondery Hill, more Chad Michael Murray. But spoiler alert, Chad Michael Murray is in Gilmore Girls. He is heavily featured, I believe, in seasons two, maybe three. And, you know, I'll just leave, you, leave it there. It's so suspenseful. You'll just have to see why. I, I was the problem is I know when people think Wondery Hill is like the best series of all time. I am not a stan, largely because I had trouble getting on board with the winner of MTV, you want to be a VJ competition, Hillary Burton, who then gets this acting career on One Tree Hill. And while she's beautiful, and I love her curly mane. It's very Felicity. 
I I don't know. Something about that show just like never fully clicked with me. That's where Sophia Bush found her fame too, right? And who I think she's a doll. She's an activist, a feminist. I, I have no problem with her whatsoever. I just, it's just not a show I ever really got into. And I, I fear I misjudged Hillary Burton because I favored the 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 hard work of of the VJs that deserve to be there. Your your Suchin Pox, your Caduce, your your Ananda Lewis, Amanda with an N instead of an N. Like I I, I love how they always had like some older white guy to give like the hard hitting news as if like you know tech from the real world was inept. Like Kurt Loader, Kurt Loader is the Ken Baker of MTV. Ken Baker I think got fired recently, but he was also like a random white guy, a little older than everybody else who like would he would pan to to tell more serious news. It's kind of funny, like. You know, Morgan Stewart can deliver the hard-hitting stuff. Relax. I, I'm a big Morgan Stewart fan, and while I'm upset about the dissolution of her marriage, I just think they grew apart, and I hope it's just that. I, I trust her. I don't think she was creeping behind his back. But also, did you see the agency just had, like, 45 people quit? Mauricio from Real Housewives uh, Agency. Also, the British twins from Million Dollar Listing LA, a.k.a. the show, jo- Josh Altman, Rachel Hollis's buddy. Um, yeah, Josh Altman isn't with the agency. Is he? I don't remember. I don't think so. Um, no, because he, he no, he wouldn't work under Mauricio. He like he has his own thing. Oh, yeah. The Altman brothers. Duh. Um, the yeah. What was I talking about? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Anyway, getting back on track. What I was saying is I think Morgan Stewart, her career took off post Rich Kids. They got married at the, the last season of Rich Kids before it got canceled. Brendan already had a huge real estate career. I think like especially with e-news i just don't think you have a life like i think you get there really early you get into glam you do the news you do other little snippets and web shows you get home late you gotta go to bed early to be up at five it's a whole thing so who the heck knows it's very sad but i think she's cute sure bod's insane i wish i could wear colored leggings no way in hell would i be caught dead in a white uh, polyester stretch but more power to you anyway with that, guess I'll get going. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash be there in five. Stay tuned for Gilmore Girls. Stay tuned for all sorts of stuff. To support the show, go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five to get $125 off a mattress. Take the quiz. See what happens. I mean, I, I the, the 100 nights guaranteed, like they actually would pick it up, which I never really believe people, but they, they do. And I believe them. Buy Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, my book. It's back in stock on Amazon. It's $7.99. And uh, yeah, I hope you like this episode. Love you guys so much. Thank you for being here. It means the world to me. And never stop sending me your embarrassing album titles, Abercrombie shirts, and all of the things because they make me laugh so hard. And you guys are just so my type of people. Anyway, all right. Well, hope you have a great week, weekend. And uh, with that, as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. This song will become the end.